and mercy. I like to uh, think about this notion of perseverance, patience, and so forth. In fact, in that verse 10, he mentions suffering and patience and perseverance. And uh, that's, the, that's the idea that I want to come to. Um, let me explain this title for a moment. As you know, I'm sure every one of us without exception that one of the most impactful days in the history of our world, or at least modern civilization, was June 6, 1944. That's referred to D-Day. In fact, I got interested when I was thinking about this. I never really knew what did D stand for in D-Day, so I got busy and researched and, you know, how hard that is these days. <clears throat> Went to four libraries. and Anyway, <laughs> D stands for day. And it's simply a military code that says when we have a planned operation on the day that it becomes operational, that is the day. And the D always refers to that. So if it's prior to, if you're talking about a time prior to the plan becoming operational, well, no matter what it is, um, then that is D-Day minus something. If it's post-operation, then it's D-Day plus three or plus four. It means it's four days after this, this thing got started. And so there was this tremendous invasion on the beaches of France, and we're all familiar with that history from World War II, um, <clears throat> to liberate the continent of Europe. And uh, these two uh, mighty forces of the, of the Axis and the Allies crashed together on the beaches of Normandy. Um, there were paratroopers that had parachuted in behind the lines. The French resistance movements were bombing railroads and bridges and everything they could to keep the ger more Germans from pouring out and coming down to the coast of France to join in this fight. And it was, a, it was a tremendous day. The build-up, as you know, was just spectacular and unparalleled. It was a tremendous day of anticipation and expectation and excitement and hope for all of the allied world that we're going to go in there, we're going to crash into them, we're going to bust through them, and we're, gonna just, we're just going to fly right across France and Germany and we're going to snatch Hitler out of his lair and this thing's going to be done. All of that was the hopes of D-Day. Of course, you also know that it wasn't that simple or that swift because the Germans fought back with a terrible, uh, with a, with a terrible intensity. And there were many months past between D-Day and V-Day. It don't matter whether the E's in there. I'm just referring to this in spiritual parallel as the victory day, the launch day to the victory day. It was 11 months, actually, between those two times. And the body count rose, and it was bitter, and it was bloody, and... Um, in fact, there was a period of time, the Battle of the Bulge, for example, when the Allies were shoved backwards. And it looked like this incredible, overwhelming force that we had against uh, this much smaller enemy wasn't going to be able to make it happen. 
And during those 11 months, from the June of one year to, the, to, the, to May of 1945, it was a time of great soul-searching, uh, eventually, when the cost of this thing really began to be seen. Not just the money, and not just the military. I mean, those were uh, huge. Um, the loss of life, the military machinery that was just strewn everywhere, from the bottoms of the oceans to up in the mountains in Italy and all over the place. <clears throat> it became a, a moment, a time, where we had to, as a country, and indeed all the countries, I suppose, part of the Allied effort, but we had to look deeply into our soul and find out if we were really committed. I mean, everybody would like to have Europe free, Everybody, you know, Roosevelt, as you recall, was very, very reluctant to get started in this thing. And for a long time, he resisted Churchill's efforts to get him involved and get us involved. But eventually, uh, there was other circumstances and eventually the principles of, of what needed to be done and the fact that we were the, the nation that was able, able to do something hit home and we got involved. But during that awful 11 months... We, as a nation, collectively, had to examine our will and to find out if we could endure, if we could really and truly persevere. I mean, there wasn't a single family in this country that wasn't affected during that time, who didn't have something or other in their lifestyle or in their, um, even in their families. There was, everybody faced loss. Everybody faced cutbacks. Everybody faced deprivation and, um, and, and suffering of some kind or other. <clears throat> Between these two, and, and I'm, I'm using this as simply as an analogy, I, I know you understand, that this period here brings up the question that's relevant to every human life and surfaces in many circumstances today. <clears throat> And that is, as he says here in verse 10, their suffering goes on. And we need to be patient while we suffer. And furthermore, and this is a different word, and I'm going to talk about it for a moment, a different layer of reality, rather than just waiting to see what's going to happen, which is kind of the, the role of patience, <clears throat> There's this idea that I get more stubborn than ever and more determined than ever. And like Churchill who said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not just fighting for the freedom of Europe. I love this place where I live and I want it to be free and I love these people. And so I will fight to the death. And Churchill made some tremendously inspirational speeches about that idea of persevering and continuing on. In other words, when... When things are going well and life is easy and happy and healthy, you don't have to persevere particularly. You can just skate along because you feel so carefree. But when suffering is involved or patience is needed, then it becomes different. Perseverance, this word, implies some sort of uncertainty. Some sort of obstacle, some sort of suffering. Specifically, if I could say it this way, excuse me, 
Perseverance implies the very nature of it. That either something is going to take a long time or something is going to be awfully nasty. And I got to stick with it. One or both of those is always implied in perseverance. So for example, if you're in high school and you want to graduate and you want to get your diploma and you're only in the 10th grade uh, or the 9th grade, there's this issue of time. You've got a couple years and there's really nothing you can do about it. Even if the work is easy, even if you're smart as could be, and you could probably sit down and go through it fast, there's, there's a, there's a, you're not going to graduate from, from high school when you're 15 years old, at least in a, a normal setting, because there's this, there's this matter of certain, all, all these amount of, of, of classes that have to be taken, and it's an issue of time. There's a delay, and you have to persevere through that delay. If you are going to the dentist, on the other hand, um, the amount of time may not be significant at all. I mean, you may only be there 45 minutes, whole, whole, whole thing. You're not worried about the delay. That's not an issue. But boy, you dread, you dread the difficulty. Uh, you dread the suffering. It might be mind-blowing how much you're, you're, you're going to hurt. You've got to persevere through the difficulty. Sometimes it's both difficulty and delay together. To persevere, to endure, to stand firm implies both of these things. Sometimes together, but always one or the other at least. And I want to take a minute and just talk about the word that's in the text, in the Greek manuscript, this word that is translated here as persevere. It is sometimes translated as to stand fast or to stand firm. Sometimes it's translated uh, as endure. This word, um, I'm going to talk about it just for a second, not to impress anybody, but just to make a point. It's a compound word. The main part of the word, the verb is meno. M-E-N-O means to settle down, to remain, um, to, to visit and to stay, Abide, Jesus used it in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. This is this, this word, meno. So it's a, it's a word that means I'm just going to kind of settle in somewhere. But there's a prefix as it use, is used in James chapter 5. <clears throat> uh, hupo. It's U-P-O, but it's a rough breathing mark, so we pronounce it H. H-U-P-O, hupo, meno. And that's like putting a supercharger on your motor, um, turbocharger on your, on your motor. Hupo means over and above. Hupo means to go over the top. Hupo means to get pretty excited about something. In fact, our word hyper, English prefix hyper comes from that. Uh, I suppose probably hypo, H-Y-P-O. Any words that have that in it also is a derivative of this Greek prefix. And so when you take the word for weight or settling down and add a a, a hyper intensity to it, what you're doing is you're creating not only a new word that means more than just be patient or wait, it means to wait with with an attitude that says, I'm not just waiting, I'm actually fighting while I'm sitting here. 
I'm not just holding on, I'm resisting. I'm persevering, I'm enduring. It, it has less to do with the, the meno part, but the combination has more to do with the hoopo part. It has more to do with the willingness, less to do with the willingness to wait, and more with the refusal to change my mind while I wait, or change my mission while I wait, or change my conviction while I wait, just because I'm, I have this 11th month period and I'm still, it doesn't, and, and just because I'm suffering a lot doesn't mean I'm going to change my mind. I am settled in here and I'm excited to be here. And even my settling in here or my waiting is not a passive thing. I am committed more than ever. And the longer I wait, the more committed I become. That's the idea of hupomeno. And so, this is what James says. God blesses people like that. He blesses stubbornness when it's stubbornness with a good attitude and stubbornness for the right cause and the right reason. Um, I, I want to just look at three issues from the life of Jesus or things that Jesus said, two that he said and one that was said about him. Here's uh, what I'm going to call a moral perseverance. Jesus said, well, this is the word, hupomeno, it's translated here, stand firm. Jesus said, um, <clears throat> you better be determined to stand firm all the way to V-Day because they're going to hate you. Now, he's talking about the culture. He's talking about the politics. He's talking about many of the events of history. Uh, I'm sorry, he's talking about many of the, uh, let me try this again. Many of the events, there you go, that's, that's slick, I didn't persevere, and it got away from me. <clears throat> what Jesus is saying is, on the moral side of things, you know, um, our Supreme Court recently made a decision that's a moral issue with the, with the decision that uh, abortion is a topic that every state needs to decide for itself. Federal government shouldn't be making it for all of us. Let every state decide. I have seldom seen such vitriol and anger about such a logical, rational idea that smaller, more local communities should have their input. Jesus said, you better be determined to stand firm because there's going to be people pushing you around. I was going to bring, and I forgot. I have one of these little... We have a fall. Was that Dick who fell? Okay. Let's take a moment and pray for him while they, while they uh, help him out there. Dear Father, we pray for uh, Dick Bartles right now. Don't know what's going on there in his body. But uh, give his body the strength to recover from this, um, from this fall. Take care of him and give everybody wisdom here. Let your peace and let your strength 
be made known to us in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Got some good, some good heavy-duty nurses back there, I see. just wait a moment because I know that it's hard to listen when Are you warm? Are you okay? Temperature-wise. I turned it down a little bit. Whether to continue to wait or I don't think any of us are going to be listening. He's making progress. He passed out, but he's back.
Is there anybody here who remembers World War II? Are you raising your hand, Ken? Okay. We're going to take a break a second here. Heater. Ken saying that when he was a kid in World War II, that the news would one day say things was going very well, and then the next day, would say things weren't. And they, and that's true. Yes, Cheryl. Okay, okay. So one of your brothers was wounded in D-Day. Is that what you're... D-Day was my brother-in-law. Okay. Well, that... Uh, that period between D-Day and V-Day is what I'm saying was very difficult because very was very difficult because the tide was going back and forth and it was testing the perseverance. It was about more than money. It was about more than military might. It was it was about mental attitude or moral conviction. And so this is what Jesus is saying. You're going you're gonna to have pressures. But this is what, what, if you stand firm, then you'll be saved. Here's the second thing that Jesus said. There is food in Jesus' vocabulary. Food that remains or endures or perseveres. Now, what, what in the world is that talking about? Well, I'm going to call it spiritual perseverance. <clears throat> this was after he fed the 5,000, the bread and the fish. And Jesus said, well, that's all well and good. But there's a day, a day going to come when tater tots or mashed potatoes or whatever isn't going to mean anything to you because the physical body... And its need for food will no longer be a problem or an issue. You need food that will stick with you when this kind of food doesn't work anymore. And so, when it seems like I'm not drawing the reward that I thought I would from my life, then spiritually, then spiritually I need to persevere. I need to find something to feed on, something to nourish me that goes beyond the physical. 
Now, this third thing is not something Jesus said, but something that was said about him. But it's a huge issue, and this is, this is more the mental perseverance of setting a goal and then sticking with it and never, ever forgetting it, even when times are tough. This is what it says about Jesus. He endured, this is the word, hupomeno, he endured the cross. Now you know all that the cross signified, and you know the humiliation and the agony and the spiritual weight that hung upon Jesus. In fact, it mentions it, the scorn, the shame. How did he get through it? He endured it. He didn't like it. He didn't seek it, but he endured it. And in fact, it says he endured opposition. So we need to consider that and realize that here's the, that here's the issue. During all that time, Jesus was tempted to give it up. He went to the garden and he said, Lord, I'd sure like to let this cup pass. How about you? Um, Jesus was tempted to be distracted away from his goal. If you want a happy marriage, you can never let that goal out of your sight. If you want to have a good relationship with your kids, if you want to get out of debt, if you want to do something that is important to you in your life, then you cannot just, for example, in the wedding thing or the marriage, you can't just come up here and say a few words, oh, I will, oh, I, I do, and then never think about it after that. Just go on your merry way and, and assume everything will fall into place and it will take care of itself. That's not the case. Jesus, it says, he, he, he kept that goal right in front of him. And always when they talked to him, he said, I'm, I, won't, I can't stop here to be your king. I'm sorry. I got a cross to take. So this goal, this mental perseverance was ever before him. Now, what James talks about is the prophets and Job. And I'm just going to make a very brief comment about both of those. James says, consider the prophets. And you know the, the prophets and you know the story of the prophets. I put some scriptures in here where the prophets are described in their, and the way people rebelled against them and didn't listen to them and attacked them. But what it tells us in these same Old Testament prophecies and stories, and for example, in Ezekiel chapter 3, one that I mentioned there, and I won't take time to read it. What it tells us is that they didn't receive their nourishment from people, but from God himself. Ezekiel says, I had a vision and God held down a scroll to me. And I said, what am I supposed to do about this? And God said, eat it. That's weird, but that's the vision that he had. Eat the scroll. And so Ezekiel said, all right, I guess I, I could try eating it. And he did, and he said, it was sweet like honey. In other words, this was the sustenance and the substance of God being placed within him and within his life. And then later he talks in the very next couple verses about how the Lord gave him a, a, a pep talk and said, you're going to go out there with, to these people and they're going to they're gonna curse you, and they're going to laugh at you, and they're going to kick you in the shins when they walk past. But I'm going to make you stubborn, and your, your forehead's going to be as tough as iron. And the Ezekiel said, then he showed me a vision of this heavenly, uh, amazing heavenly creature or, or chariot or something. And there were wheels, and there were eyes, and there were all kinds of things. In other words, these men weren't getting their motivation from the people who liked them, because there weren't that many of them. Rather, they were getting their motivation 
from the root rather than the fruit. Or to say it a different way, very similar idea. Their goal wasn't to be popular. Their goal was to tell the truth. This is how the prophets persevered. They didn't cater or, or cave in to peer pressure. They were committed to telling the truth. So, James says, um, in the face of suffering, persevere like the old prophets persevered. And I'm simply saying to you, as a reminder, this is how they did it. They didn't care what people thought. They cared and what mattered to them was what was true. This was the commitment and this enabled them to continue to say to the kings and the common people, this is what the Lord says, you better pay attention to it. And sometimes they were scoffed and rebuffed. Sometimes they were put to death, but they just kept saying it. And James reminds us here in chapter 5, brothers, as an example, take the prophets. And you look at how it is that they were motivated. And then he also says, oh, and what about Job? Everybody knows that the, the, we hear the phrase, the patience of Job. What about the perseverance of Job? This is more, remember, it's more than just waiting. It's about an attitude that says, I'll wait, I'll wait right here in this spot until I die. And I'll never change my conviction. I'll never change my mission. Because this is not about the waiting. This is about the, the attitude and the mission of while my life Passes the mission of waiting. So, I want to mention three, two things about Job. Number one, Job, as you know, when you read the book of Job, <laughs> it's amazing how, how, how wild he gets in some of his accusations and some of his characterizations. He, sa- characterizations. he says to the Lord, one of my favorites, he says, I wish you as an attorney, I'd like for you to sit right down across the table from me. I'd like to have a day in court with you because I would argue to your face. Job gets very heated in some of these exchanges about why he lost his family and his farm and all these things. But several places it points out to us that although Job challenged God and he said, look, it's not right to keep me in the dark. I want to know why this is happening. And his friends were saying, well, it's obvious God's punishing you. And he said, why has God got to punish me? Why don't God just pardon me? Let's get this thing over. I've lost everything and I want to move on with my life. And I don't see how it's helping me for God to punish me. And he, he, just, he just argued back to him over and over about all this stuff. But it says in all this, he never accused God of wrongdoing. He was frustrated with God. He was hurt. He was angry. But he stopped somewhere short of a line that didn't care. Job's wife came to him once and she said, why don't you just curse God and get it over with? Maybe he'll strike you with lightning. And Job said, you're a foolish woman to talk, even to think that, to talk like that. That's not who I am. I am a guy who perseveres through the suffering. I may question, I may lash out, I may, I may uh, walk around pulling out my hair and sackcloth and ashes, but I will be here when the day is done. And I will still say that even if I die and my flesh is consumed, I will someday hold a meeting with my Redeemer and I will see Him again on this earth. He had this kind of faith and He did not blaspheme God. Um, And here's the second thing that I want to say about perseverance. I think sometimes we kind of get the idea of enduring 
or standing firm or persevering as somebody who's so callous that they really don't care and they just kind of fold their arms like this and stick their lip out. And they sit there and they say, I don't care if it rains or snows or what. I don't care if I'm eating or not. I'm just going to sit here. And, and just kind of detach themselves from reality. They don't really feel the pain. Kind of like a, a, a Buddhist meditative state. Where they just become stoic or very dispassionate. I don't have any questions. Don't you ever wonder why you had to deal? Nope. Not supposed to ask questions. That's not how Job took his suffering. He asked a thousand questions. He was very passionate. He was very emotional. But <clears throat> he was also so humble that he just said, I might, Lord, you know this beforehand. I might scream and rant and rave, and I, I, but I'm going to trust you. I don't care if you put me to death. I don't care if somehow when this thing's over, I'm, my body's dead. I'm still going to trust you. I'm saying to you, how do you persevere any stronger than that? How is it that we could have a greater attitude that says, my mission in life is to trust God and I'll trust Him when I'm living and I'll trust Him on the day I die. That is perseverance. And that's what Job said. And that's what he exhibited. Now, <clears throat> almost done. But let me just say, especially this thing, because I think this is really important, and this is something you, you, you just you got to stop and think of because it's powerful. We often think of character. We often think of perseverance as a characteristic of hope. If I'm a hopeful person, if if I'm an optimistic person, then I can just hang in there, and if the, if if the situation's not going too well. Um, I'll just be able to hang in there because hope makes me stubborn and strong and I can persevere. But, but I, I challenge you to read and think about the seventh verse of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love, love always trusts, always hopes, Always believes. And hupomeno panta. Always perseveres. And what that says to me <clears throat> is that you might think that people become tough because they grew up poor or because they went off and joined the Marines or whatever. But you know what will make you tougher than any Marine sergeant ever was or any CEO has ever had to be? Or what will make you tougher than any experience or product or trial or regimen that you've ever had to go through? Get a hold of some love in your heart. If you love, you'll be stronger than steel. You can last till the day you die. And many other factors that seem to motivate people really don't matter. You can endure everything. You can sacrifice everything. You can never give up if you love. This is the power of love. Love always perseveres. So it's not about just being an optimistic person. It's having love. There is nothing that will make you so strong as to have love. 
This is what it says. Love always perseveres. And with this, I'm done. I'm not even going to comment on this. It'd take too long. When we, when we persevere, it communicates something to other people that we have a conviction. But I think it also actually produces conviction within us. That's what James says earlier when he says suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. Father in heaven... We have a lot to think about here. We have a lot of circumstances to put it to the test in. This is, certainly a, this is certainly a strong appeal, a strong reminder to us. That just like these old folks that's so far away, they may seem like old fogies to us. The prophets, what do we know about them? Job, we can't even hold a candle to his suffering. But these were men who caught a hold of something Far beyond the normal tagline, they persevered. They told the truth irregardless of what it meant. They trusted you, even if you, if you put them to death. Let us also be men and women who don't just sit around and wait, but we are we're going somewhere in the interval of our life. We made a decision to be a Christian. That was D-Day. But we're not there yet in the splendor of heaven where we are fully sanctified, which will be V-Day. We're in this in-between. Let us, we pray, be filled with this, with this attitude that says, I may be shoved backwards at times, but I will never stop. I will never give up. I will never untrust what I have trusted. For I know who I have believed, and I'm persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed unto Him until that day. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Can we stand and sing a verse of this closing song, please? Day by day, with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Number 56. Heavenly Father, we uh, think of our friend Dick and Janice and their family. Just pray you will give healing and strength to his body. 
We uh, thank you for this opportunity to gather around and to eat of this food that will endure just like we want to. That this word that we've heard, this, this word of yours is going to endure unto eternal life. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for that privilege. Bless us that we can bless those around us. Dismiss us in your peace and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for coming today.